My name is Victoria. I come from Ghanaian parents and grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm a painter turned entrepreneur on a mission to empower Black women to step into their genius and make an impact. I have a vision for creative women to feel confident and powerful and let go of all the limiting beliefs holding us back from going all out and showing up. I'm also the founder of the Kindred Creatives Collective, where I host dinners and retreats to hold space for Black women to prioritize self-care, build a tribe, and feel inspired. I want a world where Black women artists are celebrated, valued, and paid more. My goal for this podcast is to help women of color build sustainable and purpose-driven practices. Every week, I'll chat with a boss who's making bold moves in her industry as a creative entrepreneur. After hanging out with us, you'll feel empowered to build your own creative empire. Now let's start the show. In the center of all that hard work, faith, and vision is a big desire. Desire for joy. Desire to live in alignment. Desire to have a life that you love. Desire to step up for yourself, for your dreams, and for what you know you deserve. Ask me how I know. Sis, I want the same thing. That's why I created the Empowered Creatives Retreat. If you think you can thrive as a creative without taking action, think again. Join me at my two-week retreat in Ghana. It's a retreat for purpose-driven Black women visual artists, writers, performers, and makers. Have time away in the African diaspora to focus on your art, feel rejuvenated, and inspired. All while making lasting connections and friendships with fellow artists. To sign up for the retreat in July, visit www.kindredcreativesco.org or follow me on the gram at Victoria underscore Y-A-W-A. Meet painter, entrepreneur, and scholar Tiffany Latrice. In 2016, she opened Tila Studios, an art studio and community space for Black women artists based in Atlanta. Tila's mission is to create space where Black women can gather and support each other in order to disrupt the art industry. Tiffany and her team have exhibited over 93 artists, held 11 exhibitions, and sold 30% of the artwork. Today, her studio also trains women on their professional development, everything from how to write a strong artist statement to taking professional photos of your work. Join us as we discuss her life as a Black woman creative, her triumphs and setbacks, and journey growing her brand, Tila Studios. Listen to learn why Tiffany thinks there is such a low number of Black women recognized in the arts and her vision to change this through Tila Studios. Hey, Tiffany. Hey, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel so honored. Honestly, I remember like looking you up and just like thinking this lady is dope. And (laughs) we actually connected and now you're here. (laughs) I am here speaking with you. It's so beautiful. 
Yes, so excited. I really want to get into you, who you are, your art, your business, all of it. I'm going to get all into it. <laughs> yes, ask the tough questions. I'm here for it. I think that's what people want to know. You know, yes. how do you make magic with bare bones? So happy exactly. to share all the tips and tricks <laughs> that got exactly. me to where I am today. Yes, because I really feel like people can learn from you. I know there's a lot of artists who are listening to this who are in that stage of, I love what I do, but I don't know how to make it profitable. Or I love what I do, right. but I don't know how to like really find the time to do it more. Or, mm. you know, how to even make a business out of this idea I have. And I feel like you're such a good example of like taking something and making it into this really amazing thing that serves other artists but also serves yourself so I'm I'm so I'm geeked okay so I like to start at the beginning because I think it's important to kind of understand the journey and I would love to learn more about your start so can you talk about your practice and what what you do what's your art yeah absolutely um I think that's a good question I think a lot of times People always see you at your glow up, but they don't know the origin story about how you got to where you, you end up going. And mm -hmm. I think for me, I, took, I started taking my practice seriously when I took my research more seriously. And I think mm. a good artistic practice starts at the basic of good intentional research. And so when I left college in 2011 at the University of Southern California, I was unfulfilled in my artistic practice because I felt like I was outputting a lot of work that didn't fit in a canon of art that represented me, or I saw a reflection of me. I didn't know African-American art history. I knew general art history. Mm -hmm. So I felt a void and not prepared to enter into the art market yet. So I wanted to really hone in on my research skills. So I, I moved um, and picked up everything, moved to New York right after college and enrolled at Sarah Lawrence College at an intimate small liberal arts school that was kind of before I started as an all-women's college, and it was the first women's history program in the nation to start. And so a lot of incredible artists graduated from there. Alice Walker is a graduate. Yes, from amazing Art. school. So good. And I just got to study under a very open, critical, and analytical lens that invited mm. new stories into my own personal narrative, where I was encouraged to research and search and find things that reflected my own personal historical lineage. And that grounded me and rooted me when I uncovered women in the 19th and early 18th century that were Black women artists that were pioneering efforts and organizing together yeah. to attain success in the art world. And when I started uncovering these stories and was traveling to DC to look at the letters that these women wrote to each other and how they communicated and how they were able to be successful, I was like, wow, I could have a creative career. So as soon as I finished my graduate program, I was completely inspired by these women's stories. And some of these women were Angelina Welton Grimke, Alice Dunbar, who was Paul Lawrence Dunbar's wife, um, Meta Work Fuller. And I said, you know, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave New York and pursue my artistic practice because I feel like the path had been set forth. I just had to go forward and do it. Mm, um, I love that. And that was really empowering for me because sometimes if you don't have the ropes, you don't have the roadmap, you mm -hmm. ask yourself, is it even possible? Is it even possible to be an artist? Right. Like if these women were doing it in the 18th and 19th century, like why not me? Why not now? 
Exactly. And that's exactly why like this podcast is so important to me, because I think it's important to show the possibilities of being a Black women artist and to look at our history to see that, but also to see like what's happened currently, all the dope artists who are out in the world, who are doing amazing work, who are really, you know, not not really spotlighted or given their roses or given the amount of money that they deserve. And I just want to show that it's possible. So I love that that's part of your story that you also looked looked at your past and also looked at art history to kind of see like, okay, this is the road that I want to take and I know it's possible for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely think we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And I absolutely. think Alice Walker, Walker didn't uh, write In Search of Our Mother's Gardens for no reason. You know, like mm-hmm. that is kind of the blueprint to us discovering our voices and the power of those voices and our creativity. Like we are, Black women are creative at heart. Yes. We had to be, we had to be. I know, exactly. It's in our bones. It's like part of our DNA, I feel. Mm-hmm. Oh. So can you talk more about your art? What do you make? I know you were talking about research being such a foundational part of your art, but can you talk more about your practice? What does it look like? What are you working on currently? Absolutely. I think I'm actually rediscovering my practice uh, mm-hmm. through my work uh, as a social practitioner. And that has been very interesting to me because I always thought the output of work meant actually rendering painting. So I'm a trained painter by nature. Like I've gotten trained in oil paint. I love figurative work. That is where I specialize in. But I think this idea of a social practice in terms of how do we convene people in a very intentional way to inspire change and create dialogue that Mm -hmm. helps their creativity foster. And so I think like that has been the realm of which I've practiced my artwork. But it wasn't until last year that I took my first residency and I had to go on a kind of sabbatical and reflect on, okay, Tiff, like you've been good at social practice like for the past like five years, but like where do you come in? Like what Mm -hmm. is your output? And what does that practice look like? And I've always been passionate about documenting myself in a performative, uh, visual, narrative way. And I've been doing it for the past seven to eight years where I have over maybe 40 to 100 pieces of work in this space of exploration and understanding my figurative body and time and space and in the home. And so when I looked at that work, I was like, oh, that is where I come in. This is, this is my entryway and my voice into the art world. And I looked at my body of work uh, during that sabbatical and I created more work, like 10 pieces that's existing in my whole portfolio. And I was like, how does this live out into the world? And I'm a writer. I'm also a writer by heart too. So I'm writing a book. Like that is where I am in my uh, current practice where I'm taking these paintings, I'm using them and categorizing them by year and shaping the narrative through these images with poetry, with personal narrative and storytelling about a woman coming into age. And I'm doing that through these very vulnerable, nude and close self-portraits that I've been painting for the past mm-hmm. like six to seven years. So that's where my work stands now. Wow. And I'm still researching so it, but it's really fun. I'm really proud of like where I am. I'm like 200 pages into writing this book already. So yeah, it's, it's been a very great creative process right now. Yeah, I'm so excited to like read your book and to see this body come together. It sounds really powerful and personal to you. 
Yes, I think it, it also just shares a lot of things that people don't know about me. Um, mm. because I, I'm, I'm pretty private in the sense that I create in a very isolated format. Um, mm-hmm. And so that type of process uncovers a lot of hard truth that I think a lot of people don't have the capacity to grapple with, but these residencies have positioned me to take on really hard topics of loss, of death, of motherhood, of sexuality, all these things that I've contemplated, explored, and pushed Mm -hmm. myself that haven't come up into the fullness of the woman that I am today. So sharing my stories, I'm, I'm hoping that it eliminates this path forward for the modern day woman that is becoming the authority of herself yes. and in, in, a, in a way, in a world where we're so competitive and hyperproductive and overly comparing ourselves to each other. Like, how do we become the authority of ourselves in the same age? And I think like, that's the kind of story that I'm trying to narrate. I love that. How do we become the authority of ourselves? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. So powerful. One of the things that really struck me about what you just said was how you took a sabbatical, how you took that time for yourself to develop your art, to develop your, what you wanted to kind of figure out about yourself, to just dive deeper. And I don't think as women, as Black women, we take that time for ourselves to figure it out, to just take a break, to have that rest, Mm. because you're right. We are like taught to be hyper competitive and work till we die. And I just don't think that's the way you have to live your life. So can you go back to this moment? And I think it ties into how you built Tila Studios, which I definitely want to get into your business. But how do you use rest to intentionally take a moment to just figure it out, reset, and just take that break? How has that helped you to develop your business or other places in your life? I think that's a really great question. So I think sometimes we turn restful moments into productive moments when they don't Mm -hmm. need to be. And so allowing yourself to be completely still and intentionally still and sleep and meditate. And those can be tasks, but allowing yourself to be in flow. Yeah. that happens um, is a very key, important element to transcend your mind and body, almost to kind of look at a bird's eye view about what you are doing right then and right now. And I think that rest has been so integral in my practice and building is that like, anytime I'm about to take a big risk, I leave the country, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Like anytime I'm about to like make a life altering decision, I've historically have just removed myself to just like sit with the nature, sit within a new environment to allow myself the opportunity to breathe in new energy, new ideas. Because when you're in the confinement of your home and you're resting, you only see the four walls that are enclosing you. You can't right. see beyond. You can't see beyond those four walls because you think of your bills, you think of your responsibility, you think of everything that is holding you or you think that is like a liability to your success. But when you're out in the world, there's this freedom and this connectedness and this humanness and the possibility and the hope that exists and breathes differently in the air. And I think like that has been so integral into my growth. And like when I started Tila, I like took a, a three-week sabbatical in Panama on a remote island. Like, and but really before I started building this the company, I was in Hawaii for three weeks on a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, so sabbaticals are integral. I used to only take one a year, but now I think at the rapid rate at which we're growing, mm-hmm. I've budgeted in two weeks per quarter. So every I love three months, that. 
I take two weeks off. So next week I go on vacation uh, and <laughs> I'm completely unplugging to dream about new strategies and ways to grow. So mm-hmm. that is really exciting for me, but I just budget it in. It's like unnegotiable time. Like mm-hmm. I have March planned out and I already have Q2 planned out. And I'm thinking about Q3 now and like what I want to do on my December holiday. But right. yeah, I'm a big proponent of rest and active rest and like really shutting things down. Like I delete all my apps, distracting apps from my phone, yes. everything, email, everything. And like I put on my, I schedule my out of office two weeks prior. So it just automatically comes on. Um, and I always bring a lot of books because I always feel like books can quiet your mind. So I usually mm-hmm. bring like a professional development book, a fiction book, because I think it's important to spark your imagination and then poetry. Because I just think the power of the words uh, and the rhythm of words kind of gets you into a whole nother way of thinking. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You better take your two weeks off every quarter. <laughs> yes. I think that's so key. Like you built it into your model, your business model. I think that's so like, that's so inspiring. You don't have to work every day. And in fact, I know that like taking that time for yourself is just going to like rejuvenate you to like come up with new ideas and new inspirations and all of that. And I just think it's so important and it's not talked enough about how important it is to incorporate rest into your life. So I love that you're like, you're all about it. Yeah. And you know what really triggered me, Victoria? It was when my, I was exhausted and I broke down in tears last Mm. summer. And I was just, the energy of the political climate was heightened. Black Lives Matter, all this stuff was happening. We had a really important and pivotal presidential election and Georgia Mm -hmm. was a central part of that movement. And I was at the pinnacle of it in the midst of like everything else that was going on in the world. And my mentor set me down. She's like, if you no longer feel inspired by the work, that means you have not rested. And she said, in order for you to feel inspired by the work, you must rest. And whatever you figure out what that looks like to you, you need to do it. Yeah. And when she said that to me, it jolted me. And I was like, oh, I'm annoyed or pissed off or tired or over it because I have not taken time for me. Mm-hmm. So by making me the priority and doing that mental wellness check every day is like that is showing my capacity to show up for the work. And if I show up as my full self, the work is so much more beautiful. It's so much more collaborative. It's so much more intentional. It's not just output, output, output. I'm actually generating outcomes. Yes, so I think exactly. how to show up, you know, and I just like, I have to sleep, I have to rest and I have to be unapologetically about that. Yes. I mean, I love it. I was just telling you how I need to do a check-in with myself because I've been feeling really drained lately and I'm not sure what it is, but I know there's something is off. And so I think Mm -hmm. you're right. It's important to kind of check in and figure out like, okay, do I feel like my whole self right now? And if not, why? What needs to kind of shift? So thank you for sharing that. And cancel those meetings and do it like, it's okay. I'm taking, I told my my team on Monday, I'm taking a personal day today. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and don't feel guilty about it, right? Like, do I did it. not. Mm-hmm. I was in the bed at 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Well, thank you for doing this. This is fun. So I hope it doesn't feel like work to you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. So I want to go back to that moment when you started Tila. Mm-hmm. When, first of all, 
I know just from doing looking you up, <laughs> I stalked you a little bit, but I know kind of the reason behind why you built this business. But can you talk more about how you see Black women artists in art in the art industry, and more specifically, why did you build your business? Why did you build Tila Studios? Um, that's a really great question. I think, you know, I historically, it's, it's interesting, like where we're at now and thinking about like, the moment that I created it. Mm-hmm. And it was out of a place of rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt I was not being seen from the quality of my work. I felt that I wasn't given the opportunities. I was literally rejected for like two years. Like I moved to Georgia. I was on this farm. I was painting my ass off and Mm -hmm. I was not getting any opportunities. But I was selling my work. So I was selling at collectors out the wazoo, works on hold, but I couldn't get gallery representation. I was not landing any residencies. I wasn't landing any fellowships. I wasn't Mm -hmm. landing anything, any Mm -hmm. MFA program. And I was like, what, what is the common denominator? Is it me or is it the system? Yeah. And so when I thought, when I looked at myself and it wasn't a lack of talent, I was like, it's a lack of networking and opportunity. And I think of when you think of people being successful or it's usually like lifting as you climb. It's like black women or other black people or your advocates or your sponsors, your mentors put you in positions to succeed. That's how I've gotten any professional career opportunity Uh, afforded to me but the same is not happening in the art industry because it's so closed door it's so competitive yeah Uh, and so when I started talking to black women I said what do you need and who are you talking to Mm. and I just did a year of talking and listening to other successful black women artists and their stories and who were killing it in my eyes but who still felt that they still weren't enough for whatever we think of success looks like in the art world and when I saw that I was like we need public space like black women artists to me the ultimate need of starting it was like we were too shun shun off in the in the private sector we were creating from our home we didn't have public space to convene to showcase and advocate for our work so it was like this public reckoning that I wanted to create because oftentimes people like well, where are the Black women artists? And we've always been here. We're but here. No, one, no one knew where to find us because mm-hmm. we're tucked away in our home studios creating. Yeah. So what did it look like publicly, Black women gathering and convening and being unapologetically Black in themselves in a space where they can create and showcase their art? And that is a radical concept in itself. And to do that means that you have to be exclusionary of some other ethnic and racial groups. But to me, that was okay because I need to say in the Black woman arts sector, mm-hmm. and do that in a strategic way. Um, and so when I did that, I felt that organic community kind of happened, more opportunities started coming our way. You know, Tila kind of came the force and the authority in that space, which I didn't really want to be. But it was really dope that people really now saw like, oh, wait, all my art that I do collect is all by black men. I don't have any black woman artists that I collect or yeah. I didn't know that she was even a part of Atlanta, you know? And <laughs> um, that was like, that was really the precipice of it all. Like I just wanted to have a public space and a public reckoning of, so no one can no longer have the dis- excuse to discredit us. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, how are you going to describe us if we were here? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about your redlining. Let's talk about your assumptions. Let's talk about your doubts. Let's talk about your inherent racism. Let's talk about that. But you can't discredit us and say we weren't here. Ooh, and I just got chills. That was that. That was when I was like, this is what I wanted to do. That is such a powerful like statement because you took a stand and you're like, we are not, we're here, but for whatever reason, the larger society is ignoring us. So you took a stand for Black women and you know, our power and our artistry. And I think that's super important because there's not enough, you know, enough of us who are able to like be thrown into the spotlight. So you're able to like bring us all along, like, hey girl, I see you. Let me show you like what's really possible. And then like Mm. the bigger world, like the greater world and the industry and other doors can open and all of that. Because I, I agree, like one of the biggest challenges is access. You know, you're, you you don't have access or you're not in the right rooms. And, you know, there's specific reasons for that, right? Uh, historically, but a lot of it comes down to access. So, like, I love that you're providing spaces for, like, people to, to kind of, like, redistribute the wealth, but also to, like, redistribute access and possibilities of what an artist can be. I love yes. that. yes. Absolutely. So what are your services? You're based in Atlanta. Can you talk more about your programs? What do you do? Sure. Sure. I think the biggest thing is that we are a for-profit arts organization. So we're in the business of making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really key. I think a lot of times people think of arts organization as charitable. But I think if we're going to empower a creative workforce of entrepreneurs, like we need to treat ourselves in the same way. So we do it in a way to hold each other accountable, but to also to say that like there's enough money out there for all of us to be sustainable. Yes. And we don't have to be grant and publicly funded. So that's the, the key thing about Tila. And then we have our business model, which is three tiers. So the biggest thing is community. It's galvanizing and organizing and amplifying our constituents and our customers or our artists. And those are women who need that support, who need those critiques, who need those reminders and opportunities pipeline to them. So every month, my community manager creates a monthly to-do list, mm-hmm. and it has three things that you should focus on in your practice, whether it's doing, do you have an inventory sheet? How have you updated your website with your new artist statement or exhibition history? Have you professionally photographed your new artwork in the past 60 to 90 days? So checklists and gentle reminders of stuff to keep your practice evolving and constantly growing. And then we list opportunities, so job opportunities that we have within TILA um, through our agency model um, or just general RFPs that people might have overlooked but should apply for. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what else we do is just like public opportunities and public gatherings. So like one-on-one studio visits with our community manager or me. um, And then we host monthly open crits that's to actually come together to critique your work. So community is really central to growing Tila. Um, That's how we pipeline artists into our second vertical, which is our agency model. So this is all about increasing economic activity within the creative community to get Black women paid jobs. So we work with brands, we work with corporations, uh, real estate agencies who have public art, RFPs, 
government agencies as well. And we work on large scale to small scale turnkey projects. Um, so we do about 12 uh, projects on average a year, but we're looking to scale and triple that so we can work mm-hmm. on more national and global projects. And then our last vertical is really about how do we amplify and expose and bring Black women artists to the national forefront. Um, because while we're doing this work of getting them paid, so now they're sustaining their practice, right? And we're building community so they have that peer network. But how do we create and penetrate that access part? And that is exhibiting artists on a national platform in Miami Art Basel, and that's through our Garden Fellowship. So that's full brand. Yes. Um, I was hoping you were going to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of like our baby. Basel's coming back this year. Super excited mm-hmm. about it. Um, that was my, I remember going to Basel six, seven years ago, and I was like, this is it. This is where Black women need to exhibit. Mm. And so I had marched towards always doing that because no one had ever done that in the city of Atlanta where Black culture is so relevant, but we don't have a presence in this art market space in Miami. So oftentimes Atlanta is overlooked. So for me to position my organization as a company that was going to scale on a national platform, I had to take a risk and go to Miami and be amongst the big waves and the big dogs, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the riskiest things I've ever done, but like the most beneficial into amplifying our mission and our work. So we'll be going back to Miami uh, this year with a new cohort and fellowship that will open somewhat soon. So we're super excited, but that's a really powerful moment of like national recognition and our stamp on that say, hey, we're here in Miami. Yes, the the Garden Fellowship is such an mm-hmm. important program and I'm so happy that it's opening up again for new people to apply. It's a small yes. cohort, right? How many people are you accepting? Yeah. We do five and we're going to probably open it up outside of Georgia this year. Okay. Because um, uh, everything's virtual now. So it's like all of our stuff, it doesn't require you to be in person. Yeah. Um, so it's five artists over the course of 12 to 18 months and it's a $20,000 investment per artist that each artist gets and receives. So awesome. you get a lot of incredible support throughout the program. And you get an opportunity to exhibit for free at Prism Art Fair under Mikhail Solomon. So it's a pretty remarkable thing. And the things that I've seen that the Garden Fellows have done um, and grow their careers just from that, that one time in Miami and the following exhibitions afterwards, it's remarkable. And just yeah. the cohort. Yeah, so, it's a huge I'm deal. Really, yeah, I'm really proud of it. I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking when I created it, but I was like, okay, that, that was one that <laughs> it hit the mark in a good way. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Sometimes the things that are like the scariest to us or like the biggest risk is like where the magic's at. So I'm glad oh, that yeah. like this program is here and available for artists. So yes, it's one of my favorite programs that you do. So I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's everyone's favorite. And I didn't realize how much it was their favorite until we announced that we weren't doing it. We weren't going to Miami last year last year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I got so many DMs. They're like, I literally look for the next Black woman artist on my radar from you. Yes. Phone. And I was like, what? Really? And they're just like, yeah. Like, that's who I, like, I collect her. I collected her. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, People really do look at that list and, and yeah. follow the artists that, who came under that program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
really is. It's not only like a big deal for the artists, but I feel like just like sharing their art to the world so that collectors can buy it or that they can like go off and do bigger exhibitions or like get jobs or whatever. I feel like the impact that that program has on these artists is just incredible, but it's also like in the bigger picture, you know, the magic that they can create just from this opportunity and access is huge. Oh, yeah. It's so oh, important. Yeah. Yeah, we're just the conduit, you know. Uh, yeah. And they exactly. just like, they just go on and fly. It's dope. It's definitely dope. Yeah. I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, hopefully you apply, you could be a part somehow. So. I know. We'll, I was we'll looking at it. I was like, Mm-hmm. I was like, how can I be a part of this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many parts that make that thing what it is. And there's so much opportunity beyond just the fellows. It's yeah. the house that they stay in. So we give them a house, a free house that they they uh they live in. They have a chef, a black woman chef that comes mm, down and cooks for yes. them. Yes. Breakfast and dinner. Uh we have facilitators that come down at the house to talk about whether it's law, whether it's this, and different part of their practice or things that they're dealing with. We have a house manager who manages the house to manage their emotions because Basel is intense. Yeah. Um, we have dinners that we curate. We have so many mile markers that make that program what it is that it takes a village. It's not mm-hmm. just the fellows. It's everyone that is nurturing these fellows to make them successful. So that's the magic about it to me. It's like there's like 20 to 30 different components of black women that comes and becomes a part of their journey so you kind of get your tribe and it's great to see them build relationships after Tila has been involved in their career like I love seeing them talk like one um, of our fellows she's a textile maker and one of them is a printmaker and she posted like trying my first time at screen printing and one of the fellows commented back like girl, call me. I got you. Like, we'll do a second <laughs> over Zoom. And it's like, that didn't have to be facilitated through Tila. That's because we created the sisterhood for them to exactly. support one another. Yeah. Yeah. Community is everything. So, uh, well, I can talk about that program, Garden Fellows, all day, but I do want to get into <laughs> my last question. Okay. I'm just curious, what would you say is the best advice that you have been given? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the best advice uh, that I've been given is to, once you recognize that you don't know something, admit it as quickly as possible mm. and ask for help immediately yes. because it can curtail your risk abasement and everything. If you just get ahead of it, then being all in your mind and thinking that, you know, like you, you have to be the source of all uh, answers and correct uh, strategy. And I think uh, entrepreneurs get stuck in that. You know, we get stuck in thinking that we have to know it all, be it all, but no one expects us to know it all, be it all. Everyone expects us to fail. And, but fail forward, like fail in a good way, not mm-hmm. fail because you don't know. And all failure teaches you how to be better. Like it's about how you pick yourself up, not about how hard you fall. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I used to like sit and muster in some of the decisions that I made. And then now I just I have a great solid team of legal advisors, accountants, financial advisors. I literally just pick up the phone and be like, I don't know what a convertible debt is. I don't, I actually really don't know how to write a job description for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have no idea. And I just like, I'll admit now, I have no problem be like, I actually don't know anything, but I know that I'm resourceful enough to find out. And yes. once I found out that was my power, like I found being a leader was so much easier. Uh, but I think like we have to admit that we don't know and do it like in an honest way, but in a way that know that you're going to seek that answer. And if people kind of like look at you crazy, that means they weren't really in your tribe. They, that means they didn't want to see you grow and evolve. Right. If you're charting new territories, you have to, there's going to be things you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know everything. You know, (laughs) no one knows everything. And I think it really is empowering to ask for help. So I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Such good advice. I love it. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share with my audience ways for people to connect. Tiff, how can people connect with you, with Tila Studios? Yeah, for sure. So um, with me, I started my own personal website finally because I was like, people don't really know what I do. I'm just kind of like on the ether. So TiffanyLatrice.com, you can send me a note and then I'll send you my Calendly link to book with me directly. Happy to talk over phone, Instagram, don't really do DMs, gets overwhelming for me. (laughs) So I try to stay off of it Mm -hmm. a lot. So just, you can follow, but I think there's an email link. So just email or go to my website just to connect that I'm more responsive on emails. For Tila, you can go to tilastudios.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We send out quarterly newsletters Uh, for the community. We send out uh, monthly newsletters and then you can slide in our DMs there where more willing to engage in our DMs because we have social media people that handle that. But yeah, no, we're right now, uh, we're just super excited to grow our community. So we're looking to talk to more Black women and support you, Victoria, and anything that you need. So excited about your retreat and everything that you have going on. Um, Thank you. You're doing the damn thing. So congrats. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Definitely, y'all get in touch with Tiffany. Look up Tila Studios. She is super nice and approachable. Email her, ask her questions. She's the best. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Talk soon. All right. Bye, Victoria. Bye, Tiffany. See you next week. Same day same time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And send me a comment if you really like this one. And remember to uplift and support another woman creative today. Always remember to embrace your creative genius.